I had a friend one time that I went to a church camp with uh, way back in the day. This is probably about 12 years ago. And uh, I was thinking about this the other day. You know, we were up in Indiana somewhere, and we had driven in a van for many hours with the rest of the church youth group, and we went to this church camp. And uh, at this time in my life, I was not professing to be a believer and uh, I, I went mostly because I thought maybe there'd be some cute girls to meet or something like that. And, um, and because I was bored, I, I wasn't going cause I was interested in, in the Lord at that time. But I, I went with my friend and while we were there, we were both pretty bored and we were kind of tired of, of the camp. Um, you know, the bedding was not very comfortable. The food was lackluster at best. And, uh, there were not very many cute girls there. So, um, that all being said, um, my friend at one point said to me, he said, you know, I, I'm tired of being here. I think I'm just going to ask my mom to wire me some money and I'm going to take a, a plane home. And I remember thinking like, really, that's, you're going to actually do that. Like you're, you're gonna, you're gonna have your mom wire you three to $400 so you can fly home. And you're going to have to get a taxi cab. You're going to have to get, you know, a ride to the airport. You're going to have to wait for the plane, hope it's not delayed. And then, and then, you know, fly home. It just seems like a lot. I didn't say that, but I was thinking that. And of course he didn't end up doing that. And if you're listening to this, who, who, that friend who, you know, who you are, um, for some reason, um, you know, I'm not hating on you. I'm just telling a story. We've all done funny things in the past. It just came to my mind, but the thing I thought about with that is, you know, uh, and I've had many situations like that myself where I, I liked to think that I had control over my circumstances. <laughs> I liked the idea that I had an option of getting out of my circumstances. But the truth is, especially at that age as teenagers, we really didn't. <laughs> so many things we did not have control over our circumstances and we were subject to them. And a lot of times, pride in all of us tries to act like or likes to think that we have control in situations that we simply don't have control. We don't have power over them. We don't have the resources to overcome what's coming against us or, or the, the situations that we find ourselves in. So often we are subject to our circumstances. And that's true for all of us. But, you know, the truth is... You only have authority over your circumstances if you're submitted to something that is more powerful than your circumstances. In other words, if you're submitted to God, then you have power over what is more powerful than you. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the authority of the believer and what it means to lay down the law when it comes to the enemy, when it comes to the curse that's in this world, and how to walk in a higher level of authority. Hey there, my name is Benjamin Pace, and you're listening to the No Content Podcast. And if you happen to be a duck listening to this, you're in a safe space. Hey there, welcome to the No Content Podcast. My name is Benjamin Pace. Hope you're having a wonderful day today, as always. Today, I am excited once again for the topic that we're going to be getting into today. I said today twice in a row, I'm sorry. Um, it's called Lay Down the Law, and I want to talk about the authority of the believer. I want to talk about what it means to walk and the authority that Jesus gave us as believers. And this is something that I've kind of been in a theme, not a series so much, but a theme uh, during the month of July going along these lines. And I started it out by talking about the government of God with my friend David Eklund, and we talked about how the kingdom of God is a higher form of government. And that when we submit to God, we are submitting to a higher form of government. We're not rebelling against government, and we're not supposed to be rebellious against government, but there do come times when there is a clash between the 
government of men and the government of God, and we have to submit to a higher law. And there are examples of that in Scripture, and we got into that in that first podcast. And then I, I talked about pick up your mat and what it means to resist the curse that's in this world and how we have to be proactive in appropriating what Christ has made available to us. And then I talked about the two fights. I talked about how we have a fight and God has a fight. We have a good fight of faith. And God doesn't fight our battles for us. He just fights his battles. But he has equipped us and empowered us to fight our own battles with his strength, with his help. And so these are the things I've been getting into this month, and I wanted to cap it off with this podcast called Lay Down the Law, and I wanted to really dive into the topic of the authority of the believer. A lot of people think that Christians don't have any power or authority, that, that we're just surrendered to the mysterious will of God, or if something bad happens to us, if things are not good in our life, if we're, if we're under uh, the barrel, as they say, um, it, it's all a part of God's plan. And, you know, we, no matter what, when you're following God's plan, there absolutely are challenges. And we do go through seasons of, of being abased and abounding, as Paul said, that we have to learn to be content. And there's a truth there, definitely. And I've done podcasts about that before. I'm sure I'll do more in the future. But Jesus did give us authority over the enemy. He did give us a place over the enemy, and we're not supposed to tolerate everything that Satan does in this world. I got into that a couple podcasts back about how, you know, there are so many things that are happening in this world that are the curse, and that they're the enemy, and they're not of God. They're not a part of his will. That's why Jesus told us to pray that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so uh, that's what I want to talk about today, and, and we're going to read some scripture, and we're going to get into it. In James 4, Verse 7, it says, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So, like I talked about in the intro, you know, if you're not submitted to God, you don't have power over your circumstances. I referred to my friend in, in church camp, you know, almost a, over a decade ago and how, you know, he, he was talking about how he, he was going to do this and do that to fly home and get away. And, and that didn't end up happening because the truth is neither one of us had control over our circumstances at that time. We were subject to them. But, you know, in order to have control over your circumstances, you have to submit to the person who is over you. And if, if, if you're submitted to somebody who is at, at the top, then as long as you're doing the will of that person, that gives you dominion over everything under that person. Does that make sense? Even if they're more powerful, even if they're stronger than you, if you're submitting to the one who has ultimate authority and you're doing their will and their bidding, that gives you authority. Uh, what comes to my mind is a, an episode of Andy Griffith where it's been a minute since I've used an Andy Griffith analogy, uh, you know, where Barney encounters these two guys and, you know, he's they're illegally selling fruit on the side of the road. And he, you know, he goes and, and he, you know, you know, reads them from the scriptures and he and he says, you know, you can't be here. You need to get out of here. But they're not intimidated by Barney. He's a little guy. He doesn't look like he can do a whole lot. And so they, they say, no, we're not going anywhere. And they get up in his face and they intimidate him. They threaten him. And so what happens to Barney? Barney gets scared and he runs off. And he goes back to the sheriff's office and Andy can tell something's wrong with him. He's been intimidated. He's been embarrassed. He's been scared off. And he feels ashamed as a police officer. He feels like he hasn't done his duty. And Andy can tell something's wrong. But then Andy goes out in a little while later, and Andy doesn't even carry a gun. And, and he goes out there and sees these guys, and he talks to them, and he's like, well, y'all are going to have to move uh, because you know, this is illegal. And they tried their little intimidation game on Andy, but it doesn't work. He said, excuse me, uh, I said you got to move, and you better move or we're going to throw you in jail. And, the, and they're like, well, who says? And then he, he makes this statement. He says, this badge says, and everything that it represents. And then they, they say, well, this guy's not playing around. We better leave. So they leave. And, and, and then they encounter Barney another time, and uh, they continue to try to intimidate him. And eventually, Andy realizes that Barney's got to get over this for himself. Barney's got to overcome this fear. You know, God will do this. God has authority. He has power. When he, when he says something, it stands. Nobody's going to back down God. 
But there are times that God will delegate things to us so that we can overcome our fear. But see, he gives us the authority and the power to do it. And so Andy sends Barney, and Barney goes back there, and he's trembling, and he's scared. And these guys are are bowing up to Barney again. But this time, Barney takes a different approach. He doesn't try to intimidate them. He doesn't try to impress them. He doesn't try to prove anything to them. He simply says, listen, I'm an officer of the law, and this badge doesn't just represent me. It represents the law. And you have to respect this badge even if you don't respect me. Now, you have to leave. And finally, these guys look at each other, and they start packing up their truck, and they drive away. See, Barney didn't have anything to prove at that moment. He wasn't trying to show how big and tough he was. He wasn't big and tough. But he had a badge that represented something that was greater. And he was doing the will and the bidding of the law that was greater. And because he was doing that, that put him in a position to resist those who were breaking the law. It wasn't about him proving anything. It was about the authority that had been bestowed upon him. And you see... God has bestowed authority on us, and Satan will try to intimidate us. Satan will try to get in our face. Satan will try to to do things illegally. He's an outlaw. He doesn't respect laws that are not enforced upon him. But we're not supposed to try and prove ourselves to the devil. We're not supposed to try and and, and dance with the devil. We're not supposed to try and, and get in the ring with the devil in our own strength and prove to him who we are and what we have and what we can do. But we're supposed to look at him and say, look, I know you're not afraid of me, but look at this badge on my chest. It says the authority of Jesus Christ, the anointing. And you have to respect that even if you don't respect me. Why? Because I'm submitted to God. And when I'm submitted to God, he's not afraid of me. But when I resist the devil, he'll flee away because I am submitted to a higher power that he is afraid of. Praise God. And that is what it means to walk in the authority of the believer. But you know, here's something I want to mention to you. Uh, You can't be half-hearted about resisting the devil. Uh, when that phrase first came to me, it came to me in a little different di- different way that I actually am not going to say on this podcast, <laughs> a certain phrase, but you can't be half-hearted with the devil. And, you know, I, sometimes I use video game examples and it, it wouldn't be, it'd be the second time I've used it in this theme of podcast because I already used a Halo example. But there's this, uh, there's this one game I really like for PS2. I'm a nostalgic, old-school video game kind of guy, and I'm, I'm not you know, a video game nerd. I'm not super good at video games. I just enjoy playing them a lot of times for nostalgic reasons. But there's this one game called Rise to Honor. It's a Jet Li game. Now, I'm also a huge fan of martial arts. I'm a few, huge Jet Li fan, huge Ip Man fan, huge Jackie Chan fan. I'm all about it. Uh, you know, um, I used to be in Taekwondo as a little kid. I was a tiny tiger. You know, I got my uh, I got my red belt, almost got my black belt, you know, but I was also eight years old. But I've always liked martial arts. Um, and, and I like this Jet Li game. But one of the things I found about this game, you know, I, I would I would sit and play this game while listening to uh, the message called The Authority of the Believer by Kenneth Hagin, who's one of my spiritual mentors who's gone to heaven. Uh, I never met him. I just, you know, listened to his teaching. But. Right as I was I was playing this game and he was talking about how you can't you can't be half-hearted with the devil. You can't you can't play around with the devil. You have to resist and mean it. He said it like this, uh if you resist the devil and he doesn't flee, you didn't resist. In, in other words, you can't be half-hearted about it. And one of the things I realized about this game, I was playing this game and basically you have to fight all these guys and and you fight them all off and you have three or four guys coming at you at once and you know, uh, man, I am clicking those buttons like nobody's business. I am clicking away on that thing because I realized if I'm going to beat this game, I can't be half-hearted about it. I can't just be lazy about it and just hit a button here and hit a button there. No, I have to be engaged. I have to resist if I'm going to beat it to the next level. And this is true in anything. If you're going to resist opposition, you can't be half-hearted about it. In the Amplified Bible, uh, James 4, 7 reads this way, be subject to God, resist and stand firm against the devil and he will flee away from you. In the passion, in the passion translation, it says, surrender to God, stand up to the devil and resist him and he will turn and run away from you. Uh, going back to the Andy Griffith example, it reminds me of Opie and the bully, that one episode where Opie is facing this bully. And what happens? Uh, Opie goes in this corner every day. And there's this bully that is demanding a nickel 
to pass his street. And, and that's Opie's nickel for milk. You know, he needs that. And so uh, Opie starts asking his dad for extra nickels. He asks Barney for a nickel. He asks Aunt B for a nickel because he wants his nickel for milk, but he also has to pay this bully. Why? Because he's scared. He's intimidated. This bully's threatening him. He's going to hit him. He's going to give him a knuckle sandwich if he doesn't pay up. And Opie's scared. And you know, a lot of times when we're faced with intimidation, when we're faced with threats, um, we don't want to admit that it does cause us to feel afraid. Uh, Especially guys, we don't ever want to admit that there is some fear that tries to come on us. You know, there's a difference between feeling fear and yielding to fear. But, you know, a lot of times if somebody threatens you, if somebody comes against you, if somebody, you know, especially if you don't know them or you don't know if they're stable or unstable, if, you th- if they threaten you, it, it, it causes concern. It can try to make you afraid. And, and intimidation can be a powerful thing. And so Opie is intimidated by this bully. But finally, the scene comes where, where he's had enough. And, and Andy sits down and talks to him, and he says, Opie, you've got to face this bully. You know, Andy could go and talk to the bully himself. I mean, if the sheriff came, you think that little five-year-old kid would continue to harass Opie? No. But why does Andy have Opie do it? Because he knows Opie needs to overcome that fear. Because if he doesn't overcome it now, he'll never overcome it. And so Andy's got his back. Andy's with him. Andy's not going to let anything bad happen to him. But he tells Opie he's got to face it himself. And finally, Opie goes uh, to this corner and the kid's like, well, where's my nickel? And Opie's like, I'm not giving you a nickel. And he's like, do you want a knuckle sandwich? And Opie's like, well, I guess I'm going to get a knuckle sandwich. And guess what happens? Opie gets a knuckle sandwich. But he said after that, that kid never bothered him again. Why? Because one little hit in the eye was not nearly as bad as living in fear of somebody. Living in bondage to fear and intimidation is not worth... Uh, the fear of a knuckle sandwich. See, oftentimes what the enemy threatens you with is empty. Uh, so many times what the, what the enemy is threatening you with and trying to make you afraid of, it's an empty threat. He's got nothing. He's bluffing like, like he's at the poker table, and he, his hand is not good. He does not have the winning hand. Listen, if you're in Christ, you've always got the winning hand. If you're in Christ, you've, I know you may not like that I'm using a gambling example here, but, you know, in, in, the, in, in honor of Kenny Rogers, who passed away this past year, I'm going to use this example. Uh, you know, uh, Satan's never got the winning hand at the table, but he's got quite a poker face. I'll tell you what, he has got a better poker face than Lady Gaga. Because he wants to bluff you into being afraid of him. But you don't have to be afraid of the devil because you've always got the winning hand. I like how one, one uh, worship band wrote a song and the, the lyrics of the song go like this. Um, don't should gamble on life and all your luck and your skill because you can play the card that old death's going to deal. But the Bible has planned who the loser's going to be. There's only two winning hands and they were nailed to a tree. And those are some of my favorite lyrics because you've got the winning hand in Christ and you have to not fall for the devil's bluff. You've got to not fall for his poker face and you've got to stand up to the devil in your life and say, you are not going to intimidate me. You are not going to make me feel inferior. You are not going to make me feel less than. No, I walk in power. I walk in authority because I'm submitted to something higher than me. I don't have anything to prove to the devil. I don't have anything to prove to people. And I'm not talking about walking around getting in people's faces. That's not what I'm referring to. I'm talking about spiritual things. I'm talking about the devil. No, so many things in the natural um, could be avoided through humility and walking in love. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when a spirit of fear and intimidation is trying to come on you or when Satan's trying to have his way in your life and trying to keep you in bondage to something. No, you've got to stand up and say, no more. We're not going to tolerate this. And we often tolerate things that we don't have to. And we let unclean spirits influence us and harass us because we don't know our authority in Christ. You know, here's something that we need to address, though. Jesus, in, in John, the book of John, he said that Satan is the god of this world. See, Adam gave over the authority of this world when he sinned. 
But just because Satan is the god of this world does not mean he controls believers, because we live after a different kingdom. We live by the rules of the kingdom of God. That's why Satan doesn't like us. But everybody else, they are subject to the god of this world. They are subject to the bondage of this world. They are subject to the system of this world. But people who live by a higher law and a higher standard, we're about to get into this, but they can experience a different reality. And they can walk in another level of authority. And, you know, uh, 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 talks about that, talks about Satan as the god of this world. But in John 14, uh, verse 30 through 31 and Amplified, it says, I will not talk with you much more, for the prince, Satan, of this world is coming, and he has no claim on me. He has nothing in common with me, there is nothing in me that belongs to him, and he has no power over me. This is Jesus talking. But Satan is coming, and I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know and be convinced that I love the Father, and that I do only what the Father has instructed me to do. I act in full agreement with his orders. Praise God, that is some kind of verse right there. In other words, Jesus is submitted to the Father, and he acts according to the agreement of his Father's orders. He submitted to a higher law. Satan has authority in the world, but that does not mean that he has authority over me or you. Jesus said, I do what my Father commands. He wasn't under the devil's authority because he followed a higher law. He was submitted to God, and therefore he was free to resist the devil. But here's the thing. If you're not submitted to God, that means you're still subject to Satan's rule. You know, there is a system that is in place in the world. It's called the law of sin and death. Paul talked about it in Romans 7, <coughs> excuse me, and it's still trying to work in our flesh to bring us into subjection to sin that leads to death. Now, that's a whole other topic that we could get into. But watch this in Romans 8 verse 1 through 2, and this is going to be the theme of this podcast. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So in other words, there is a higher law that when I live submitted to God, it sets me free from the lower law, this law of sin and death that operates in the world. When I walk according to the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, it sets me free from the law of sin and death. It reminds me of how Paul said in Galatians, if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Or if you walk by the law of love in Romans 13, the whole law is summed up in the law of love. This is a higher way of living. And it gives you authority over the lower way of living. Uh, it reminds me of a, a man, an evangelist named John G. Lake, very long ago. Was over in Africa, I believe it was, and there was this bubonic plague that was spreading throughout that region. And everybody was taking this antidote for that because they were there dealing with it. And, and John G. Lake said, I'm not going to take it. And, uh, and there's nothing wrong with taking medications or anything like that. I'm not advocating to not do that or saying you don't have faith if you don't do that. This is just what happened with John G. Lake. Uh, he said, I'm not going to take that. Uh, he said, take some of the foam from the mouth of, of one of the victims of this plague and put it in my hand and put it under a microscope. And when he did that, they watched as this plague, these germs, these, this disease literally died in his hand. And he said, that, my friends, is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that has made me free from the law of sin and death. It's a real law. It's a real force. And it's more powerful than the sin, the sickness, and the death that's in this world. We don't have to be intimidated by the curse. We don't have to be intimidated by evil spirits. We don't have to be intimidated by death. Death doesn't have a sting over us anymore because we're, we can live by a higher law, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that set us free. But here's the thing, though. Uh, just like with Barney, who was bestowed with that authority, we have to lay that law down. We have to be enforcers of that law. We have to let the devil know that there's a new sheriff in town. That's what, that's what it's talking about, the law 
lay down the law, the law of the spirit of life. We've got to let him know that, that there's a new sheriff in town. I'm a big fan of a an author uh, of, of novels, Western novels back in the 1970s and 80s, name of Louis L'Amour. Amazing author, amazing writer, some of the best uh, fiction uh, you'll ever read, um, full of history, so well done. I, I still enjoy reading these books. They're clean. They're not full of a bunch of junk. Um, but they're great books for guys to read and girls to read. Um, but they honor women. Uh, they they portray men as being strong, not being cowards, not being weak. And, and I like that. I think that's a good thing to be promoting. But I, I like reading these books. And there's one particular book that I'm thinking of. It's called To Tame a Land. And in this book, the character's name is Rye Tyler. And, and he's been a gunslinger since he was 15 years old, and he's one of the fastest guns in the West, right? And uh, so he, he is, is, his parents were killed when he was very young. And uh, it covers all his travels and everything that's happening to him. But at one point in the storyline, he comes to this town, and, and, and he has a reputation by this point. And the the leaders of the town, the council of the town, come to him and say, hey, our sheriff, our marshal is corrupt. Um, everybody in this town's corrupt. There's nothing we can do about it. Everybody's, you know, uh, basically cr- crime is ruling in this town. You know, it's kind of like Gotham City, right? And, and everything's corrupt. And they're like, we'd like to hire you to be the new marshal. But the problem is, is that you're going to have to be the one to fire the old marshal. <laughs> and so... He thinks about it, and he's like, okay, I'll take the job. And so he goes over, and uh, he goes over to the marshal's office, and there, him and his deputy are sitting there, and he's like, uh, he's got his new marshal's badge on, and, and the the old marshal's like, uh, where did you get that badge? And he's like, well, I'm the new marshal. He's like, oh, really? Well, where does that leave me? He's like, you're fired. Get out. And the guy goes for his gun, and he kills him, and, you know, it's a Western. What do you expect? And uh, then he goes over to the the head of the crime syndicate in this town, uh, who's in the middle of the saloon playing poker. And he's the big sheriff. He's the no, he's not the sheriff. He's the big power in this town, though. He's the one that controls everything. A man named of Billings. I have a pretty good memory about these books. And, praise God. And, and, and so he goes over to Billings, and, and he said, uh, "Your your marshal is dead. He lost a gunfight." And the guy's like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. He's like, well, he needs to be buried. He's like, why are you telling me that? He's like, because you're going to do it. <laughs> so he has this guy who's the head of this crime syndicate in this town go and bury his own corrupt marshal. Now, that's a little bit harsh and it's a little bit intense. Makes for a good book and would make a, an even better movie. But the point is he had to let them know there was a new sheriff in town. He had to lay down the law with the corruption and the crime that was in that town, and he had to say no more. He had been bestowed with this authority by the town council, but then he had to lay down that law. And like I said, uh, when it comes to these things, it's not about proving ourselves. It's not about how tough we are. We're not tough. We're we're not, just like me and my friend at, at church camp, we are subject to our circumstances unless we are submitted to something higher. Jesus walked in authority because he did the bidding of his father. And like Jesus, I don't have to be subject to the God of this world if I'll do the bidding of my father. You know, one of the devil's number one tools of enforcement of his law is sin. You know, I can live submitted to my father and resist the devil and he'll flee. But if I yield to sin, I'm yielding to the devil. If I, if I give in to the temptations and desires of my flesh or of my mind or of my eyes or my pride, then I am submitting to the devil. You can't be half-hearted in resisting him. You have to be all in. You'll either submit or you'll, you'll let me say it like this. You'll either submit to God or you'll submit to sin. And you have to resist the things your flesh wants to do. You have to resist the temptations of the enemy. You have to refuse to give him any hold over you, any, any power over you. Because if you're submitting to the devil in one area, you can't resist him in another. You have to be all in. You ha- cannot be half-hearted in your resistance of the devil. So you have to resist, and you have to want to resist. 
And here's something else. You have to recognize Satan's influence in your life in order to resist it. You have to recognize his influence when it's coming through people. You have to recognize his influence when it's coming through the TV. You have to recognize his influence when it's coming through music, our thoughts, our feelings, our imaginations, our reasonings. If your flesh likes what it's hearing and seeing and feeling, it won't want to resist. And that's the law of sin and death. But you have to submit to God and choose to live by a higher law. That's why it says if you walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. You know, it it may take cutting some things off. If you say, Satan, I resist you, but then you keep entertaining the wrong thing, you haven't resisted him. There has to be a corresponding action. And you also have to realize this, that the devil is already a defeated foe. Like I said earlier, his, his hand is already a bluff. He does not have the winning hand. He never will. But he's got a really good poker face. And it's up to us to submit to God and exercise our senses to discern good and evil, as Hebrews 6 says, so that we can discern his poker face, so that we can discern beyond uh, just the surface. Isaiah 11 Isaiah 11, excuse me, in talking about Jesus talks about how he won't discern after the hearing of his ears or the seeing of his eyes, but he'll discern with righteous judgment and he'll be of quick understanding. He'll be of quick scent or he'll sniff things out quickly is what it literally says. We have to be sober and vigilant and knowing that the devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But, you know, if there are some that the devil may devour, that means there's some that he may not devour. And we have to discern that, and we have to walk sober and vigilant, and we cannot be half-hearted with the devil. You know, we can take authority over sickness and disease because Jesus did. We can take authority over sin and temptation because Jesus did. We can take authority over mental torment because Jesus did. And we can take authority over evil spiritual influences in our homes, at our jobs, in our city, and in our nation. You know, we don't have control over people. And people have a free will. People have choices. And we can't control people. People are going to do what people are going to do. But we are told to cast out demons. And, you know, even with that, people have to want to be free. And we can't override their free will. And God won't override their free will. But we can... and. Uh, take authority over over the enemy's influence in our own life. And that doesn't mean we control everything that happens. But, you know, and here's something. We can't control everything that happens in government. I'll address this for a minute. That's why First Timothy 2 tells us to intercede for our leaders. And intercession is not about taking authority. It's about standing in the gap. But I'm talking about in your personal life. You can take authority in your life over the works of the enemy and over the influence of the enemy. And we can do everything Jesus did. We can do everything that Paul did. Now, Paul, you know, didn't always have control over his circumstances, but he knew when he could and and, and should take authority. You know, uh, but then you also have in the book of Acts, the seven sons of Siva. You know, I won't read that whole passage, but... You know, they tried to use the name of Jesus to cast out a demon, and the demon said, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but I don't know you. In other words, you're not submitted to God. See, Paul walked in authority because he knew who he was in Christ. Satan knew who Paul was because Paul knew who Paul was in Christ. And if you know who you are in Christ and what you have in Christ, Satan will know who you are because he knows Christ. You notice that he said, I know Jesus before he said, I know Paul. And he knew Paul because Paul knew who, who he was in Jesus. You see that? He knows Jesus, and if we'll be found in Jesus, if we'll know who we are in him and what we have in him, Satan will know who you are too. And when you take authority over him, he's going to have to flee because you know who you are in Christ. But those seven sons of Sceva didn't even hardly know who Christ was, much less who they were in Christ if they received him. That's why they couldn't take authority over the enemy. Over in Luke 10, um, yeah, 10, talked about how the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus told them, that's great, but don't rejoice over that. Rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. But then he said this, behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. 
So he defined what he was talking about when he said serpents and scorpions. He wasn't talking about naturally. No, there's an element of that. You can step on a serpent and scorpion if you if you want to. I would prefer to to use a machete or a gun on, on one of those things. Not a scorpion. That's a, that's overkill. But uh, he's talking about the power of the enemy, and he said, "I gave you authority over the power of the enemy." And in the Passion Translation, it says this, Now you understand that I have imparted to you all my authority to trample over Satan's kingdom. You will trample upon every demon before you and overcome every every power Satan possesses. Absolutely nothing will be able to harm you as you walk in this authority. Now he's talking about spirits. Now obviously we know that persecution comes and we know that believers who serve God fully have, have experienced physical harm. When it comes to persecution. And Jesus said people are going to persecute you. We're not saying that you'll never experience persecution. But every weapon that Satan forms against you will not prosper when you walk in this authority. Jesus said in Matthew 28, all power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So when we're submitted to him, we are under his authority. What is his authority? It's all authority. He said, all authority has been given to me. Paul walked in authority because he was submitted to God. He was submitted to Jesus. It reminds me of when Paul was, was about to be flogged. And uh, he, he, he told the centurion, he said, is it lawful for you to, to flog a, a Roman citizen who's uncondemned? Remember how we talked about in Romans, it says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He said, is it right for you to, to punish me without a trial when I'm uncondemned? I'm a Roman citizen. And they didn't know he was a Roman citizen. And, and they kind of freaked out when they found out about it. And he didn't get flogged that day. And you know, if we know who we are in Christ, we can challenge the curse in our life. We can challenge Satan and say, is it lawful for you to be doing this in my life? Is it lawful for you to be trying to get me to do this when I'm uncondemned? Is it lawful for you to try to be working this in my life when I'm uncondemned? We can take authority because of who we are in Christ. And when we walk in the Spirit, submitted to Him and His law, we walk in this higher authority and we can lay down this higher law. So, like I said earlier, in order to walk in this authority, we have to be walking in the Spirit. And you know, here's something. This includes the fruit of the Spirit and the law of love. See, Romans 13 tells us that the whole law is summed up in the law of love. And those who walk in the Spirit, not the flesh, are set free from the law of sin and death. So, you have to walk in love in order to walk in authority. You have to walk in forgiveness in order to walk in this authority. You have to walk in everything that 1 Corinthians 13 says that love is and love does. Now, it's not on you to try and produce that on yourself. It's a fruit of the Spirit. You have to abide in the vine. You have to be in Him. But if you're not walking in love, you're also not walking in authority. They're one and the same. You can't have one without the other. And if you want to walk in authority, you have to walk in love. Let me say it let me say it like this and I'm gonna, I'm going to make it plain to you. You can't be sleeping with the enemy and also be taking authority over him. <laughs> All right. You can't be sleeping with a foreign spy and expect them not to use it. Uh-oh. <laughs> you know Samson found that out. Uh he was sleeping with the enemy. He was sleeping with a spy. And and Delilah used it against him. And it, it robbed him of his strength. It robbed him of his power. You can't be sleeping with the enemy and expect him not to use it over you. No, you have to resist him. So uh, let me just go through some of these things that I'm talking about. To walk in authority over the enemy, number one, you have to walk in love with people and you have to forgive. That is a big part of God's higher law. Number two, you have to be obedient to what God tells you. That's submission. Number three, you have to live in dominance over your own flesh. If you can't take authority over your flesh, how are you going to take authority over an evil spirit? Number four, you have to put on the whole armor of God. You have to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. We talked about that some in the last podcast. You also have to pray in tongues. You have to learn how to pray in tongues. Now, praying in tongues is not a requirement for salvation. 
but it is it is a requirement for taking authority over the enemy. If you don't pray in tongues, I'm just being real with you, you're not going to get very far in subduing the enemy. And you have to spend time in the Word. You have to feed yourself with the Word of God. You have to know the Word of God to discern what's Satan and what's not, because if you don't, you won't know what's him and what's not. You won't. You won't discern your, your senses uh, to know good and evil. And going back to the praying in tongues thing, if you don't pray in tongues, then there are so many things that we can pray about in praying in tongues that we can't pray about in our understanding because we don't know the perfect will of God about that. And when you pray in tongues, you're praying God's perfect will whether you realize it or not. So you have to do those things if you're going to take authority over the enemy. If you don't, I'm not saying God can't help you if you don't know about those things, but if you know about them and you don't do them on purpose, you say, I don't need that, then you're not going to get very far. So, well, I'll say it to you like this. If you don't pray in tongues, you won't last one round with the devil. Now, you may not agree with that, but it's true anyhow. You may as well say amen. It's part of putting on your armor. Uh, that's what he said. You know, let, let's read that. In Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, he said, uh, I'm going to read it in the Passion Translation. And if you don't like the Passion, then go back and read this in the Amplified, because it's really good in the Amplified. He said, be supernaturally infused with strength through your life union with the Lord Jesus. Stand victorious with the force of his explosive power flowing in and through you. Put on God's complete set of armor provided for us so that you will be protected as you fight against the evil strategies of the accuser. Your hand-to-hand -hand combat is not with human beings, but with the highest principalities and authorities operating in rebellion under the heavenly realms. He goes on to talk about how there are a high class of demon gods, but God is... Uh, provides so that you're protected as you confront the slanderer for you are destined for all things and will rise victorious talks about putting on the the, tr the belt of truth putting on the breastplate of righteousness these things our, our shield talks about putting on the helmet to protect you from thoughts and lies that's how it defines the helmet of salvation and then it says take the mighty razor sharp sword of the spirit spoken word of God. And it says, pray passionately in the spirit as you constantly intercede with every form of prayer at all times. This is a part of putting on your armor. Praying in the spirit is a part of the armor of God. And you can't miss a, miss a part of the armor and expect to be effective. So we have to recognize his lies. It talks about this in that passage, recognize the lies of the slanderer, the accuser, the liar. And that's why you have to know the word. Uh, the Bible talks about, I, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. In 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. I did a podcast a while back called Decline the Airdropped, where I talked more about taking authority over our thoughts. But, you know, I'll say this. Uh, this verse did not say bringing every wrong thought into captivity. No. It said bringing every thought into captivity. That means you have to constantly be sifting through you what you're thinking about, even if it seems good, and examining whether it's good or evil and where it came from. A good question to constantly ask yourself is, where did that thought come from, and what's influencing it, and what's it trying to influence me to do? It, it, Satan knows how to coat thoughts with, with a good um, exterior, but we have to learn to discern where a thought is coming from. It says, take every thought captive. We have to remember our warfare is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. It's not against groups. It's not against movements. It's not even against our own flesh and blood. It's against the law that tries to work in our members. It's against spiritual influence. It's against lies and temptations and thoughts. Keith Green was an amazing musician of the 80s and a piano player, 70s and 80s, and he had a song he wrote back in that time called Lies, and it was all about the lies of the enemy. And it simply went like this. When I was young, I used to believe everything I heard. But now the only thing I can believe is God's word. 
and, and he talked about uh, the lies of the enemy that would try to come against him. And, and he'd say, even now, sometimes my thoughts will open up for me a world that I just despise. And then the shades come down, the lights go off, and I'm left alone with my helpless cries when I believe all his lies. What's he talking about? He's talking about how people get depressed, people get discouraged, people uh, yield to temptation, they, they get into condemnation because they listen to the lies of the devil. But if you want to take authority over the devil, if you want to be ahead of the game in spiritual warfare, number one, stop listening to lies and stop being moved by the attacks of the devil. Satan is always trying to distract us from keeping our focus on God. And you know, sometimes you just need to ignore the devil. There are times you got to tell him to shut up and say, get out of here, stop that. But there are other times that you just need to ignore him. You know, uh, and here's a big one. You have to take authority over strife. You have to take authority over strife in your home. Ephesians tells us to give no place to the devil by not sinning with anger. You know, if you're claiming to be on God's side, but you're full of anger toward any person or even a group, you're deceived and you're given place to the devil. Now, there is a righteous indignation in a sense, but if your son, if the sun's going down on your wrath, it's not righteous anger. And, and you know, um, it has to be submitted to God like we're talking about. If you lose your temper, you're on Satan's territory. And you have to take authority over strife because that's a way that Satan will try to gain access into your life. In Ephesians 2, 2 through 6, it says this, In which you once walked according to the course of this world, talking about the lusts of the flesh, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know, when you are submitted to God, you are seated with him over the power of the enemy. Now, I'll say this, you know, I've, I've heard some teaching and talking about how, you know, every morning we should take our seat of authority. And there's a truth there. Everything that is available to us, we have to choose to walk in it. We have to occupy it. And there is a a proactive faith action that comes with that. But one of the things I will say about this is that, you know, don't treat this like it's something you have to do every morning necessarily. We need to constantly remind ourselves that we are seated. This verse says he has seated us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In other words, I wake up in the morning and I say, Father, I thank you that I'm seated. I'm seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. I'm in Christ today. I know who I am in you. Why am I saying that? Because it's not something you have to try to do every day. It's something you have to remind yourself that you already have. It's where you are and you have been seated. And you've been seated over the power of the enemy. So let me just say this, if your life has been overrun with demonic activity and rule in your mind, strife in your marriage, addiction, sickness in your body, uh, if you'll submit to God and then resist the devil, he'll flee. But you have to let the devil know that there's a new sheriff in town. You have to let him know that there's a higher law and you have to be the one to lay down that law in your own life. The truth is so many times our free will is involved in these things and we have to be the one to overcome it, not in our own strength, but we have to be willing to resist the illegal activity of the enemy. There's some delegation involved here. And it's because he has bestowed authority upon us. And you know, so many things that are happening in the world today are a result of spiritual activity and spiritual warfare. And, and the spirit world is a real thing. And I mentioned praying in the spirit. You know, it's so important to know our role as believers when it comes to prayer. Um, and, and, and prayer will only get you so far if you don't pray in the Spirit. I'm just being real. Um, praying in the Spirit is a part of our weaponry. It's a part of our arsenal. It's a part of our armor. And Satan hates it when believers pray in the Spirit because it's effective. We're praying out the perfect plans and wills of God. And uh, not wills, not that he has multiple wills, the will of God, I should say. And we have to put on our armor every day, and we have to resist the enemy. We have to stand against 
the enemy and be willing to lay down this law of, of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And when we do, we will not continue to be subject to the, the law of sin and death. So it's not on you to try and produce this. It's not on you to, to arm wrestle with the devil. No, that's not what I'm saying. Just like with Barney, you have to point to that badge and say, you don't have to respect me. You don't have to be impressed by me, but you have to respect this authority. You have to respect the name of Jesus. You have to respect the anointing. And if you submit to God, and if you walk in the Spirit, and you walk in love, you will be in a position to take authority over the devil and over the enemy. And if you get out of love, it's okay. Repent and get back into love. If you get out of the Spirit, repent and get back into the Spirit. That's why the Bible said there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. If you're walking in the flesh, you'll feel con condemned. But if you walk in the Spirit, you know that if you confess and forsake your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive you, and you're righteous. And you can maintain that righteousness and walk in the Spirit and continue to walk in authority, even if you sinned yesterday. That's not the point. When you confess your sin and repent, you get right back into that place with Him. It's not a matter of you doing penance or anything like that. Satan will try to tell you you deserve to be afflicted. No, if you deserve to be afflicted, then Jesus' sacrifice meant nothing because he was afflicted for you. No, you have to come back to that place in him. If you mess up, if you miss it, repent, get back in, get back over into that place and continue to walk in authority and continue to take your place of authority over the devil. And don't give him one inch in your life. Don't give any place to him. You have to learn how to lay down the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus in your life and to let the devil know that there's a new sheriff in town. My name is Benjamin Pace. This has been the No Content Podcast. I hope this podcast has blessed you along with the podcast that came before this. I hope this is strengthening you and building you up and encouraging you. And I'm excited for what's to come. And I'm excited uh, for the word of God and, and the things that I believe are going to come out in the podcasts in the near future. And uh, I would encourage you to stay tuned and come back to listen to those things. And uh, yeah, hope you have a great day. And you know what I always say. I'll talk to you the next time you click play. Thanks again for listening to the No Content Podcast. Remember that Jesus loves you. He loves everyone else. And please don't forget to feed the ducks.